Well, um, we are on, and I'm recording, and I got my friend Lee Irons uh, with me, and you should be seeing him on the screen right now if I've pressed all my buttons correctly, and uh, that is always up in the air. You know, we never know if I've done that right, so uh, let's just hope and pray that, that I'm seeing you. That's a good sign. Uh, you're in the Looks right box on my side. Yeah, I'm looking good okay. to you. So that's uh, all we can work with at this point. But Lee, I'm really uh, stoked that we can get another opportunity to do this, brother. Uh, appreciate it so much. Really yeah. appreciate your time and um, and your expertise. And uh, I feel like every second with you, I'm sort of, uh, I can feel my brain kind of just expanding. It's like a little feeling right. that I get. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, my job today is because uh, we've got we've got all sorts of awesome stuff to um, to talk about here. Uh, you know, we we hinted at it right in the last podcast um, and uh, in the last episode that I was with Lee and uh, kind of coming out of this uh, merit work covenant of works idea all sorts of things concerning federal theology conditionality of the covenant etc uh and uh we'll try and tease that out um and uh lee has given me this you know i was just saying to him like i, I don't even know why i'm surprised that i've got this amazing outline of everything uh that we might touch on in in the next few episodes in front of me every time i ask Lee a question i get like a diagram i get a little reference key in the front it's it's uh it's it's quite amazing. Lee, you know what I do want to know? I mean, I have noticed. I picked it up I picked up a patent, right? All your documents kind of look very systematically oh. presented. I, I would give oh. anything to see how you store your information. That's what I would like to see one day. But like the uh, the hierarchy of my folders in my oh, man. computer. <laughs> it must be it must be something to check out. I mean, it must, I just there's no ways you are disorganized with this, right? You're an organized guy. Yeah. Well, I try. I try. You know, I have different folders on different topics, and and uh, the theology folder has you know a hundred different subfolders, and <laughs> each of those has subfolders. <laughs> and, and, I mean, so when you reference and you put all these, like, I mean, when you make an, a note to yourself, right, or something, yeah. I mean, you obviously are doing that to be able to pull that up at a later stage with intentionality, right? Is mm -hmm. it, that is mm -hmm. how you work, or am I just um, or am I reading into that? Yeah, well, it's very helpful to keep notes and have outlines of things. And then you can use those later for different writing projects and things like that. Yeah, so, amazing. Yeah. I, I would love to eventually get you to just teach us how to do this stuff. Just uh, unorganized guys like myself. I mean, we just see this and we're like, wow, wow. Just give me some of that anointing. Just... Uh, <laughs> Just, you know, touch me and I'll be healed kind of thing. You know, that, well, that's in, what we're in, looking at. In Microsoft Word, you just hit the little button at the top that says outline mode. <laughs> See, I didn't <laughs> even just, know that, uh, you know? Yeah. Wow. Right above where it says paragraph, there's bullets, numbers, and an outline. Click that arrow, multi-level list, and then you can do outlines. And then and you're done. You smack this guy automatic. out. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And, no uh, special tricks needed. <laughs> so. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've just kind of got onto the Evernote like revelation. Uh -huh. yeah. Evernote is great for guys like me because I mean, you just tag the daylights out of it, yeah. and you'll give, you'll find it eventually. You know, like if there's just one yeah. word in there, you'll get right, it. Right. And yeah. uh, it's it's saved my bacon more than once. But um, I would love to actually. Usually, what happens is I start out, you know. All right, here we go. Like New Year or something kicks in, 
And I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I'm just going to be Mr. Organized, you know, and I type all my stuff out nicely and I store it. Yeah. And then like, what, month two, you know, a little bit of busyness kicks in and it's just crazy. It's sticky notes, down to sticky yeah. notes everywhere, <laughs> on my forehead, on my bookshelves, <laughs> you know, it's just walking around like like I'm, I'm about to yeah. lose myself. Um, but anyways, we'll leave that for another time. We got enough to talk about. Okay. Yeah, uh, what I was going to say is. Uh, my job is to try and not subtract brain power from this discussion. I'm going to uh, just basically uh, try and draw out what, 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 you know, what uh, is important to draw out from that last discussion and uh, some of the stuff that's on your mind uh, at this point. And, um, and again, just really, uh, really want to uh, thank you, Lee. It's uh, just a real privilege that you'd be t- uh, taking us through this. Um, so, you know, just to kind of give everyone listening, we might not get, we're going to keep the super informal and super, um, you know, kind of discussion oriented. And, um, uh, even if for no other reason than just for my sake, um, but we basically are, uh, wanting to get through things like monocovenantalism versus, uh, federal theology, the law gospel contrast we mentioned last time. Um, you've got there the broad versus narrow gospel, You've got the conditionality of the covenant, as we just mentioned, uh, even the third use of the law and how that all fits in. So those are uh, extremely, extremely interesting subjects. If you listen to this podcast, you are you are already kind of on that page and you have uh, been prepped for that at some level, surely. And uh, maybe we've touched on, on some similar subjects, uh, but uh, it's exciting to be able to go through that. Um, so why is all this on your mind at this point, Lee? Well, I've just been doing a lot of reading lately in the whole area of covenant theology, um, law gospel contrast. I recently read uh, Herman Witsius's Economy of the Covenants Between God and Man. Uh, I recently read a book by a Scottish Presbyterian minister named John Cahoon called A Treatise on the Law and the Gospel. Uh, I'm currently reading Coxeus's uh, treatment of covenant theology. Yeah, so you mentioned- so all these ideas are just in my mind right now, and I'm really right. thinking about them. But they're also issues that are very relevant to discussions going on in the church mm. as well, mm. uh, especially you know debates between um, you know those who are really emphasizing justification by faith alone and those who are concerned about antinomianism. Uh, accusations flying back and forth that, oh, no, you're a neonomian or you're an antinomian. Right. And right. these kinds of issues, they're, they're very uh, relevant right now. And so yeah. I've been doing a lot of thinking on that. And it, it all boils down to, I mean, the heart of what I'm concerned about right now, the thing that's on my mind at the moment is really trying to understand the law gospel contrast. Mm and trying to understand that in the right way right and to me it's it's very easy to get into bad definitions of the law gospel contrast that are too simplistic that Mm -hmm. the law is just anytime there's a command in the bible the gospel is anytime there's a promise Mm -hmm. that's too simplistic and uh, doesn't deal with the issue of what about the christian life imperatives you know Mm -hmm. what about Mm. Like in Paul's letters where you have Ephesians 4 through 6, mm. you know, I, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling of which you've been ca- called, you know, mm. are these all just law? I don't think so. And right. so there's a, another debate that has come up is whether or not the call to faith and repentance, which could be viewed as commands, 
whether or not those are part of the law or the gospel. Right. Yeah. So that's what I've been wrestling with and trying to figure out. And I think I have some ideas and some thoughts that I hope are biblical and faithful to traditional reform theology, but yeah. that are also um, filled with grace and not bringing the church back under a new law. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, I think this stuff is worth looking at, uh, even though, as you say, it's it's been a perennial sort of thing throughout the ages. Um, yeah. You know, the just you've got so much headbutting going on, um, yeah. and a lot of it does come down to simplistic definitions. And it's almost like the more nuance you can put in a definition, or at least we should try and work at it to right. to get as much together on that definition as possible, so as to allow at least the potentiality of unity where it didn't exist before or, or, or just the ability to see yeah. one another, even if you end up disagreeing on another element. Um, you know, and, and as you said, the, the hot topic issue, I mean, you know, just recently I was reading through, I don't think this was a recent article, uh, but Mark Kohlberg, um, you know, he was he was just saying, well, you've got, you know, all this in-house reform stuff going on in terms of law gospel and, and um, you know, the shepherd controversy and obviously and Klein and all that. Uh, but but he ended off that article saying, I mean, just look how this has expanded way beyond like now. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just the whole of the evangelical world, or even just beyond mm-hmm. evangelical. I mean, you're you're, you're thinking yeah. anti right. You're thinking, you know, everyone's kind of still dealing with this, and um, mm-hmm. it's almost that John Piper at a popular level. You know, mm-hmm. you've you've just got this crossroads that everyone's feels like everyone's at that crossroads. Like we've just got to make a call on this. And so I think any work on it is good, but at least just to help people understand where, what they can say right. no to, what they say yes to, where there can be some unity, where there is apostasy even, or, or, or uh, anathema, you know? Um, I mean, it's mm-hmm. serious stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you start off with um, uh, just thinking about, okay, monocovenantalism versus federal theology. That got my interest, because um, when I think of monocovenantalism, I would think of it as a kind of federal theology, uh, not something put against federal theology. But what, you, you have different thoughts there. Yeah, that's that's a a common um, problem. So I think that a lot of us um, are familiar with the distinction between dispensational and covenant theology, mm-hmm. and then we think that. So I, I grew up in a dispensationalist church, and part of my process of becoming reformed was really delving into that whole issue and realizing that dispensationalism was wrong and that covenant theology was the way to go. And so it's very easy then to just think, okay, covenant theology is this one simple concept and everyone knows what that is and covenant theology is covenant theology and there's no need for any further clarification. Mm. But as I've gotten into this uh, myself, you know, just studying covenant theology and studying the current debates, I've come to the realization that you can't, that even that term covenant theology may be um, a misnomer mm-hmm. because it's too broad. It, mm. It's basically, if you're not a dispensationalist, that's all it means is you're right. not a dispensationalist. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but covenant theology can mean a lot of different things mm. to a lot of different people. And the way I simplify it is, even though there's probably, you know, dozens of different flavors and brands of covenant mm-hmm. theology, I, I want to simplify it into two main streams that are out there today. Mm-hmm. And that's monocovenantalism and federal theology, which mm-hmm. I see as being very distinct. 
Right. So federal theology technically just means covenant theology, just using the Latin word for covenant, yeah. foitus. So federal theology just means covenant theology. But I think the term federal theology is useful mm-hmm. in identifying a certain type of covenant theology because it not only has the word covenant in it, federal mm-hmm. is covenant, mm-hmm. but it also has it also brings to mind the two federal heads, mm-hmm. Adam mm-hmm. and Christ. Which is that so another federal yeah. theology? Yeah. So yeah. federal theology is a distinct type of covenant theology mm-hmm. that has a very clear distinction between the covenant of works with Adam in the garden and the covenant of grace after the fall. Right. And so it's based on this two Adam construct that there's a contrast between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace between Adam and Christ as the second Adam. Right. That is something that monocovenantalism does not have as clearly spelled out in its system. Monocovenantalism tends to deny the pre-fall covenant of works with Adam, mm-hmm. or if it doesn't deny it completely, it changes the understanding of it so that it's not a clear covenant of works, but it's mm. rather some sort of, it's basically a form of the covenant of grace, basically. Right. right. Which Adam was called to trust and obey, just like we are. Mm. Um, so monocovenantalism is different from federal theology. It may still be covenant theology. It's not dispensational, mm-hmm. but it's not federal theology because it does not hold to this clear contrast between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Right. Yeah. One of the telltale signs of somebody being a monocovenantalist is that they don't like that term. I'm not really comfortable with this term covenant of works. Yeah. Can we call it something else? Maybe the covenant of life or yeah. some sort of arrangement or an administ- maybe it's the Adamic administration, but they don't like that term, the covenant of works. Mm-hmm. And the reason they don't like it is because that concept of the covenant of works brings into view this concept of a covenant in which the reward, at least hypothetically and theoretically didn't happen, but hypothetically the reward of eschatological advancement of eternal life and being confirmed in righteousness and being uh, given a perfect an unending and unbreakable communion with God forever is based upon doing works. It's based upon the idea of you do the work that God commanded And then once you've done the work, the reward is granted to you on the basis of justice. And that's what people are afraid. That's what monocovenantalists balk at. They they struggle with that concept of could, is it even possible that Adam could have obtained the reward on the basis of works? Right. Yeah. I like that idea. Totally. Um, You, uh, you know, and this is why it comes straight out of the merit conversation. I mean, this is right. you know exactly what you were saying. Just in case, um, right. uh, you know, if if you are listening to this now, um, and just be keep in mind, go back to that previous conversation because that'll set you up for everything we're talking about uh, at this point. Um, I le- I think I might have heard it from you at some point, but I like, I you know, uh, let me see how you phrase it. Something like um, with covenant theology. Well, what appealed to me. Is almost the, the the phrase covenant theology because it is so wide because it is so broad. It's almost like you could keep that more along the lines of a biblical theological flavor, and then as you move into the more systematic end of the same thing, you're thinking more in terms of a um, a federal theology. Uh, before you get to the whole federal system, covenant theology can be a sub topic within biblical theology where you're simply 
going through all of the biblical covenants right. and doing biblical theology of the biblical covenants. So then that would mean looking at the covenant with Noah and mm. the Abrahamic covenant, right. uh, the Davidic covenant, all of these different covenants, mm -hmm. and then kind of exploring the different, uh, the, the progress of special revelation through these historical covenants that God right. made following them in historical order in the Bible. Um, but then you get into so, the systematic category yeah. and it's like, now, now you're talking about, right. Well, even yeah, in the systematic category, you've got two different kinds that, that we really want to be, um, uh, making sure you know, we're clear on moving forward. Right. So federal theology is, it relies upon the biblical theology of the covenants as its exegetical basis. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it is a product of systematic theology of taking the results of biblical theology yes. and um, uh, formulating a broad systematic understanding of uh, the covenants into these two broad categories of mm -hmm. the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Yeah. That is a, a, a systematic theological enterprise that rests upon the work of biblical theology. I love the way you've always um, uh, highlighted that point right throughout. I think it, uh, I might have actually, you know, just it, that might have been very formative on me right in the beginning. And I, I've just appreciated it because a lot of the flattening out of, uh, you know, and maybe this is, I said to Chris the other day, you know, coming at it from a Baptist perspective, I suppose one of the initial rejections uh, of all the, the initial reasons I struggled with covenant theology was because it seemed to me that all that, and now we're thinking about the systematizing element and the way it's it's put in the confessions mm -hmm. and, and those sorts of things. It, it tended to flatten things out uh, without any sense of historical, biblical, theological progression. And um, I think I might have heard it from you at some point. Just, you know, I love the way that you, you spoke about, um, you know, there is a, you know, there are these exegetical realities, these covenants in the Bible. And uh, when we're get, we, we've got to keep that somehow uh, in our minds, apart from this, the systematic construct involved, which is, you know, it's not less true or anything like that, but we're dealing with a different field. We're dealing with something that builds on, as you say. And so, um, you know, again, just keeping in mind, I like that idea, you know, hey, let's call let's put that all into the realm of covenant theology. A lot of biblical theologians, they're doing that, building up. But then now we're thinking about that systematizing issue. And uh, and what you're saying is that um, that within the realm of systematic theology, what should be, uh, covenant theology is too broad, if we're going to use that term moving into that realm. Um, because you've got something like monocovenantalism, essentially. You need something more defined than... than um, not just dispensational or, or, you know, not dispensational, which I, I totally resonate with. I think that's good. Um, and especially now that when you say reformed or I'm covenantal, uh, a covenant theologian, or I mean, people do have federal vision wandering around in their minds at that point, And probably that might even be their first <laughs> knee jerk reaction to yeah, if it's true. if it's not the the supersessionist or uh, the replacement yeah. theology or, you know, that from, from the dispensational debate, it's, it's probably now more along the federal vision side of things. And um, yeah. So ironically, what I'm calling uh, federal theology is the opposite of federal vision. We want it back. Vision. We're taking it back. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're redeeming federal, federal theology. Would be more closely aligned with what I'm calling monocovenantalism. So yeah. Yeah. So the terms are so confusing. I know. But totally. So you got to define them. I'm using frame. the term federal yeah. theology though, because that's a historic term. I mean, yeah. If you look it up in, you know, in systematic theological textbooks or actually historical 
books works of historical theology mm -hmm. or um like the uh this, the dictionary of Scottish church history, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be an article on federal theology or covenant theology. Right. So it's, that's the term that's used for it. Yeah. Great. Um, and I like it because as you say, you know, you got the, 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 the federal representatives, you know, you've got yeah, the, I mean, yeah. this is what it's all about. It's um, at the end of the day. And I like it also yeah. because when you do think about the hypothetical reality of what, of what the first Adam, uh, you know, might have, merited it's you know you immediately you always have in your mind it's not just a hypothetical reality because you what you're arguing for the one you're arguing for the other and you know you're keeping what did happen in mind with what christ did so you know again just to uh, throw back on what we said last time i think that is a helpful um expression federal theology there we go uh so we want monocovenantalism out and we want federal theology in <laughs> and uh we're moving from that point good all right so now we are um uh You've got a few things here as subpoints, uh, which the law of works versus the law of faith. It sounds like you have a few scriptures in mind to, to kind of uh, work this through a little bit. Romans 3, 27, um, Romans 4, uh, and what have we got Galatians 3 here as well. Yeah, so just, you know, just some, the, this idea that there's a contrast between these two covenants, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, is really based on Pauline theology. Mm -hmm. That is, that is uh, what the reformers, I mean, not just Calvin. I mean, even goes back to Luther. Mm -hmm. If you look at Luther's uh, commentary on Galatians, um, <clears throat> he is very strongly articulating what what we would call a law gospel contrast, but he's defining it in terms of the contrast that Paul makes between works and faith, between mm -hmm. law and gospel, between um, inheritance by the law versus inheritance by the promise. Um, so I'm just, I just, in the outline there, I just put down a number of verses that make this contrast very clear. Mm -hmm. One is Romans 3.27. Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so yeah. that sets up for us the contrast between these two things, the mm -hmm. covenant of works and the covenant of grace, the law mm -hmm. of works and the law of faith. Mm -hmm. um, if you turn into the next chapter in Romans 4, Paul fleshes it out even more. For example, um, near the beginning of chapter 4, he brings up Abraham, and he quotes that great proof text from Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God, mm -hmm. and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then Paul does a little bit of theology here, and he says, okay, let's think about this. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Right. There we I go. like that one because that very clearly brings in this concept of wages being counted as what is due. Mm. Mm, totally. That's what we mean by this idea of the works principle. That's what we mean by a covenant based on the works principle. Yeah. A covenant based on the works principle is a covenant <laughs> in which the reward is being given to you not by grace, not because you trusted in God's promise. It's being given to you because you did the work that was required of you. Mm. You perfectly obeyed God and you fulfilled the requirement of that covenant. Mm -hmm. And so now the reward is being given to you as what is due. It is due to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could even, if Adam had obeyed, he could have even come before God and said, you owe me the reward. You owe me this catalogical advancement that you promised me in the covenant of works. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you know, just hearing, 
just uh, I'm hearing you speak there and thinking, uh, I, I don't know how this works, and this will be another uh, episode at some level. But, um, you know, Lutherans and the way they don't totally accept a covenant of works prior to the fall. I, I just, I'm always in awe of that a little bit. Like how, because they've got such a strong law gospel contrast. And, uh, you know, they would amen every one of these passages that you've read to us. Mm. Um, and really all we're talking about with covenant theology, or at least federal theology here, is the the, the covenantal historical development of law and gospel. Um, right. You know, and and it's it's almost like, how does that work, you know, <laughs> with, with the pre-fall thing? We need to come back on that one and look at that more closely. Yeah, so it does have effects on the Lutheran system. Um, <clears throat> it affects their view that justification can be lost. Yeah, true. Yeah, there we go. There so, we go. Jordan Cooper, uh, we need to yeah. talk to you. We need to get, <laughs> we need you to fix Lutheranism. No, I'm joking. Whereas in the reform uh, system, we understand that Christ, as the second Adam, has performed the works that the first Adam failed to do, and therefore he has earned the reward. And the, the reward that he has earned is the salvation of all of the elect, and his righteousness is now imputed to them so that they are regarded as if they had kept the covenant, yeah. as if they yeah. had performed the work, and therefore righteousness and eternal life, which is the reward of righteousness, is due to us as a reward. Yeah. And therefore it's not losable. Yeah. And that's how this thing so, gets into assurance and all sorts of uh, amazingly right. existential <clears throat> places. So, uh, right. you know, yeah, uh, got to be clear on this. And then I suppose the one um, text there that you've got is Galatians 3, 18, which is obviously pivotal to all of this and connecting it yes. to federal theology, right? Yes. So Galatians 3, 18 is just so helpful. And this is one of those verses that Meredith Klein hammered and hammered often. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. You know, it's so clear. If the inheritance comes by the law, mm -hmm. it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Man. And, um, and you know, of course, Galatians. Uh, have you looked at David T. Gordon's um, uh, book, uh, Developing mm -hmm. All of This Recently? I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but mm -hmm. um, I got it. Finally, it got shipped to New Zealand, so it took forever to get you, but yeah, it got you. And um, I'm looking forward to, to reading that. But basically, I mean, they uh, that whole epistle, you know, wow, just so so key for all of this. Um, all right, yeah, he, so... He basically argues there that uh, these terms that Paul uses, especially in Galatians, such as law, promise, faith, these terms are what he calls synecdoche. Synecdoche is where you take a part, part for the, the whole. whole. Yeah. So faith is sort of synecdoche for the whole new covenant. Yeah, brilliant. And promise is synecdoche for the Abrahamic covenant and law is synecdoche for the Mosaic covenant or the Sinai covenant. Yeah. I think that's very helpful. I think yeah. It helps to really clarify a lot of Paul's argumentation yeah. in, uh, in Galatians. Great. Now, Good. what's interesting is you'll yeah. notice that we've been using all these verses in mm -hmm. Paul that talk about the contrast between law and promise or works and faith. All these verses are verses that where Paul is talking about the law that was given at Mount Sinai and the promise that was made to Abraham. Mm -hmm. And we're using those, that law promise contrast to systematically now we're doing systematic theology and we're using that as a a proof text for this concept of the contrast between the adamic covenant of works right right and the post-fall covenant of grace yeah and 
and people might be shaking their heads in that and saying, right, that's, that's strange. That doesn't make any sense. Well, the reason why it makes sense is because traditional federal theology has always argued that the works principle that was enshrined in the pre-fall Adamic covenant of works was repeated in some corporate way, in mm, some mm. typological corporate level with Israel at Mount Sinai. Mm. And so all of the passages where Paul is talking about a contrast between works and faith, between law and promise, can be used as a systematic basis for establishing the contrast between the covenant of works with Adam and the covenant of grace with uh, the elect after the fall. Yeah, yeah, and you, I mean, we do need to do that. I was actually thinking about it um, uh, the other day because, you know, even using Klein's, um, you know, whoever takes the oath, you know, helps you determine whether it's a covenant of works, covenant of grace um, idea. Um, you can see that very clearly, of course, in the Mosaic Covenant, um, you know, they're taking the oath and let the blood be on our heads, etc. Um, and so they've got a covenant of works and then, you know, with Abraham covenant of grace and, and so forth. But with, um, unless I'm missing something in the garden, I mean, you might argue that through God's fiat, you know, there is an oath sort of, uh, a word thing happening over there that in the covenantal fabric of that whole creation process, I think you can, you can see that easily enough, but you don't see Adam taking the oath, um, uh, you know, up front at that point. Or, I mean, is there something that I'm missing there? Do you think there is a an element that that you would look at to say that Adam did take the oath at some point? Well, there's no record of it. No. So Genesis one through three doesn't make any mention of Adam taking an oath. So we are relying but, on on basically yeah. what we're reading into it, right? We're relying on a number of things. We're relying on systematic theology, looking at the law gospel contrast in Paul. Uh, we're relying also on things like, you know, the fact that later Revelation, Hosea 6-7, looks back on right. the Adamic situation and calls it a covenant and says that Adam broke the covenant. Broke the covenant, right. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of factors that can be used to develop that. Right. Um, for example, the this is not new. Um, the fact that a covenant is a covenant may not always be evident at the initial narration of it. Mm. For example, the Davidic covenant. When God made the Davidic covenant with David, the word covenant is not used there. That's a great and point. there's no yeah. oath mentioned yeah. in 2 Samuel 7. Right. But later on in 2 Samuel 23 and Psalm 89 and so on, Psalm 132, looking back on that event, it's called a covenant. In mm. fact, it's even it even says that God swore an oath. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, yeah. that is not mentioned in Second Samuel 7 at the yeah. initial act, of the initial narrative. Right. So um, the act we're doing something similar back. here. Yeah. yeah. It, the we're act using of reading subsequent back. revelation to look back on the past. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's not an illegitimate right. process. Right. Uh, I think the text you just raised there is, is important for that because people go, well, you know, you can't. At some level, it's just using the new to interpret the old, right? Just, uh, just right. using that basic hermeneutic and just reading. And even the old itself, even even, even the, old, the itself. old testament, yeah. there's progressive revelation that looks back, right, and brings out the uh, covenantal nature of it. Yeah. There's even systematic theology going on in the Old Testament. For example, if you look at the Genesis narrative and you look at the covenant that God made with Abraham, mm -hmm. um, that covenant is actually split up into various episodes. There's the initial covenant episode 
in Genesis 15 of passing between the pieces. But then there's another covenant episode in Genesis 17 mm-hmm. with circumcision. And then after that, after Abraham dies, God renews the covenant with Isaac. And then after Isaac, he renews it with Jacob. Mm. And so if you were just looking at, if you're, if you have a purely grammatical historical method of exegesis, mm-hmm. which I don't think is a correct method of exegesis, okay. but let's if roll you have it. just yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would have to say, well, literally there's actually, um, at least two Abrahamic covenants. Right. And then there's totally. an Isaac, Isaac covenant and a Jacob covenant. So there's maybe four, maybe five different Abrahamic covenants. Yeah. Well, they do but, do that too, as well. I mean, uh, but within yeah. the Old Testament itself, yeah, there will be places later on in Exodus and so on, looking back upon the whole patriarchal period and lumping it all together and doing systematic theology and saying mm. that God made one promise and one oath with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's systematic theology. That's taking the yeah. plurality that yeah, you that's see in the point. text. That's exegetically spread out historically over many covenants mm. and then stepping back and saying, let's do systematic theology here and say, what's going on really mm. is that God is making one covenant. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. So you do it anyway. And you know, yeah. you have to, you have to deny a lot if you want to get out of that one. And right. um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking as you're talking there of uh, the, you know, I, I realize this is um, it's a big, it's a big sort of area right now. It's not uh, dispensationalism is not what it used to be, and um, and you've had a lot of progression, and they are progressive dispensationalists. But uh, I mean, I remember just being put off by by the whole thing when, um, in fact, this was one of the big things when I was looking at it. I was, uh, you know, I remember thinking, okay, well, what do they do with the new covenant? You know, because mm-hmm. Jeremiah is talking about the new covenant for Israel. And, yeah. uh, and then Hebrews is talking right. about the new covenant for the church. Right. And, and right. I was thinking, well, in my, in my mind, I was thinking, well, you probably need two new covenants. You know, if you're going to, and lo and behold, that's, right. that's what they're held to. Two that's new what covenants. they did, exactly. <laughs> and I was, I the old thinking, dispensationalists did that. Totally. Yeah. So thanks I think the new ones that. don't, but yeah. yeah. The old ones did. They were consistent. You got to hand them that. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to run it through. I mean, I remember yeah. thinking, okay, that was a reductio ad absurdum right there. Uh, I'm out. Right. My eject button. <laughs> And I just exactly like, exactly <laughs> the same experience stop. as you. <laughs> uh, funny. Anyway, so yeah, I mean that's a great point. And um, and in terms of um, so what I what I was driving at there in 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 terms of just trying to um take these texts as you were saying, and then all of a sudden start talking about um the covenant of works in the garden. Um, I mean it's I know a lot of people do feel that. Well, and maybe I have Klein in view as well, you know, with, with a lot of what he would state, he's sort of building on, on so much of these foundations. Uh, and it sounds to people like he's reading stuff into the text, like just crazy, just packing it all in there and, uh, all these hypothetical realities and, and just so speculative. And at some level, I think it's probably true that he just has a stab and, 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 and you know, uh, takes, goes there essentially. But I think at the basic covenantal, let's call it federal theology stuff, um, he's working on this paradigm. He's, he's saying there is a legitimate hermeneutic here. We do need to read things back based on what we have, uh, you know, whether we want to look at it from, you know, new, old, or um, uh, the mosaic republication element, or, you know, you want to, however you want to look at it, there's so much to be able to, uh, give real credence to a, uh, you know, taking passages like that in the New Testament and thinking about the, the covenant in the garden. So, um, you know, just from some of the people I've spoken to, I think that's, that's worth highlighting. Um, in terms of, uh, 
the monocovenantalism um, section you've got over here. Uh, do you want to sort of flesh out? Because it's interesting. Actually, yesterday I had a conversation with Chris, uh, and we were talking about the one covenant construction um, of A.A. Hodge and how Klein made some comments on that and um, how that's really not what we're talking. A.A. Hodge's um, one covenant construction is really not what we're talking about here with monocovenantalism. And yet they kind of end up doing the same thing at some level in a weird way. Um, did you have any comments on that? No, 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 not at all. I don't, see, I don't agree with that. So they're not doing this. Monocovenantalism, as I'm defining it, yeah. is miles apart from anything that A.A. Hodge. It's true that Klein wrote that article critiquing A.A. Hodge's construction. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean that A.A. Hodge is a monocovenantalist. No, no, that's what I'm saying. He, so he's so, not a mon yeah. monocovenantalist in, right. in what you're saying. He's actually As emphasizing the covenant of works. Right. Um, right. So the issue here is that uh, within federal theology, there are two streams. Yep. So I'm, we've already def defined this big dis divide between the monocovenantalists, which don't believe in the covenant of works at all, mm -hmm. and the federal theologians that believe in the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. Now let's further subdivide those federal theologians. Yeah. They all agree that there is a contrast between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. So they're yep. not monocovenantalists. They don't think that the Adamic covenant before the fall was a covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. Okay. They mm -hmm. think it was a covenant of works in which the wages would be counted as what is due. Yeah. But there's a subdivision within the federal theologians between those who think that the covenant of grace mm -hmm. We're setting aside the covenant of works. We all agree on that. Yep. The covenant of grace should be viewed as either one covenant mm. or two covenants. Mm. So the one covenant view of the covenant of grace was the view held by A.A. Hodge. Right. It was also famously held by Thomas Boston. Yes. Is the view that the covenant of grace, it all boils down to who, with whom was the covenant of grace made? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to put so it. So how yeah. you answer that question will tell you which type of federal theologian you are. Right. If you answer that the covenant of grace is made with Christ, then you're going to hold to the one covenant construction of the covenant of grace. And by one covenant, we don't mean mono covenant. No, because we still hold the covenant of works over right. here. Now we're talking about the covenant of grace. Right, totally. Okay? Yeah. Mono covenantalism doesn't believe in the contrast between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Yes. So we're not denying that. We're holding to that contrast, but within the covenant of grace... Some yes. say there's only one covenant of grace and it's made with Christ. Right. And then because Christ is the federal head of that covenant, he represents all the elect. And so through Christ, it's made with the elect. But really, it's made with Christ. Mm, mm. That's the view of Thomas Boston and A.A. Hodge. Mm. It's a minority view within mm -hmm. federal theology, but it was held. This did not make these guys monocovenantalists. Mm because they still held to the covenant of works. Mm -hmm. In fact, they, they held to everything that's important about it because they held to this covenant of grace being made with Christ as the mm -hmm. second Adam. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's clear that the covenant of grace with Christ as the second Adam has a works element built into it. And mm -hmm. that Christ's obedience meritoriously fulfills that covenant and is given to the elect. Now, just a, but the majority. Go ahead. So, what I was going to ask you on that point, and this is kind of, I, I just thought it was interesting where Klein went with it. I'd never really even pieced that together because I suppose exactly what you were saying there, in that, um, yeah, you know, if anything, a a, a I always struggle to say the double a a a Hodge <laughs> is, uh, I, you know, he's a, he's friend, not foe. 
precisely for that right. reason, because he's like right. a big covenant of works guy, right? Right. Um, right. And and yet, what I started seeing when when um, reading that those comments that Klein makes is that you know you've got this um, covenant of redemption, which is of course a a covenant of of works. It's operating on the works principle, as Christ is is doing. Um, the work right. that Adam so, failed to so do. So you just brought up now the other view. So that's this the, this other view within federal theology, which holds that the covenant of grace is made with the church. Yes, and exactly. And therefore, there is another covenant called the covenant of redemption that is distinct from the covenant of grace. Yes. So that would be the, so, the threefold sort of uh, yeah, scheme, yeah. right? So right. if you don't have that, if you if you only have the the twofold scheme the cover, you know the right. AA Hodge scheme, what what I've what I've you know and this is where I'd like to, I'd like you to um, like to hear what you have to say about this but but um, it sounds like you know you have to necessarily collapse the covenant of redemption and the covenant of grace together into this one temporal right sort of in, in effect what they're saying is is that the covenant of grace is the covenant of redemption yes yes that's so all they're saying what's interesting yeah. about that though is that you you know you're basically it sounds like klein was not liking the fact that you're essentially mushing together a right. a, a works and a grace principle uh which right, even exactly. though they're not doing it in the same way that a monocovenantalist would do it um, right. You know, it still ends up with the same problem that Klein doesn't like. In, not well, the same problem it's not, exactly, it's but not a, the same problem because they're not confusing law and gospel. Okay, yeah, but so. it's just it's just that, um, and all Reformed theologians, for example, Turretin, Hodge, everybody who has talked about this debate, this is an in-house debate within okay. federal theology between um, saying the covenant of grace is distinct from the covenant of work or covenant of redemption, saying it's the same. Everybody has acknowledged that it's an in-house difference of formulation only and not okay. of substance. Cool. So, how, so um, you know, when you've got the Lord and servant, Christ is as Lord, Christ is servant, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the church receiving grace uh, where Christ is doing the works, you're saying it's just a, you know, when you're trying to mush it all together, making one covenantal hash, as Klein put it, um, even though it's confusing and difficult, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a um, um, an, what, what, an actual war with the antithesis of grace and works. It's more just a how do no. we make that antithesis? Right. You know, what is the best way to come up with conceptual clarity? Yeah. Okay, that's helpful. So what I'm going to just uh, mandate at this point, anyone who uh, listened to yesterday's podcast, we were talking to, uh, talking to Chris, uh, listen to this as well, and I'll try and put them together and make sure people people get that on the show notes because that's helpful clarity there. Uh, we sort of left with that question mark yeah. on that show. The thing is, is that there, there's a weakness with the what Klein is calling the one covenant construction, which is really the two covenant construction, mm, covenant mm. of works, covenant of grace. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and we so, need to retitle that thing. Uh, yeah. So the two covenant construction of federal theology, where there's only the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, and the covenant of grace is being defined as a covenant made with Christ. Yes. And therefore it's being defined as if it were the covenant of redemption. Mm -hmm. um, the, the drawback of that view is that it has a, uh, it, it doesn't do a very good job of explaining then how do we as Christ's people fit into this covenant? Right. Yeah, totally. And what it, what are, is that covenant made with us in some way? Mm. And they would say, yes, it is made with us, but only indirectly because it's made with Christ. And mm -hmm. then Christ represents us as the elect. And so it's made with us 
through Christ. Mm-hmm. But then that raises the question of, so then is there anything that, is there anything on our part that we need to do? Do we need to have faith or repentance? And this is going to get into the very yeah, thing we're yeah, going to yeah. talk about. I was about to say, yeah. Now, are there any conditions that we have to keep? Yeah. And um, what about uh, if you're a Presbyterian, what about children of believers who are in the, in this covenant, but are not um, elect? How do they fit? Yeah. So it, it what they end up doing is they end up saying, and many of them, like Thomas Boston and others, will end up saying that the covenant of grace has two aspects to it. Right, 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 right. There's the yeah. aspect of it that's made with Christ, and mm. there's the aspect of it that has to do with the administration of it for the church. Right. And so they end up holding to a three-covenant view, and right. they end fact, up in practice holding covenant of works with Adam in the garden, covenant of redemption with Christ as the second Adam, and then covenant of grace with the church. Yeah. Even though they want to take those second two and combine them into one, they mm. end up recognizing that there has to be at least two different aspects. Mm. There has to be some aspect of it that connects to us as God's people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, Is that what Hodge did as well with the aspect thing? I don't remember. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, yeah. I know Klein did mention something there, but yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's helpful. And that functionally, they end up in the same place anyway, which yeah. I think... Um, Helps to clarify the point that 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 they're not on the you know again the thing that we're sort of against here with the monocovenantal side of right. things where they are actually wanting to say that law and gospel, uh, faith and works that they're just they're not different principles and um, and so yeah that's a different team good um, awesome hey um you know you're basically verging on that um. Uh, conditionality of the covenant. I see it's kind of right at the yeah. end of what you yeah, got to. I'm like, it's I want to get to up. the treasure. <laughs> it's right there in our peripheral wanna... vision. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I love that discussion because it's so important and so, and so, um, you know, I mean, everyone asks that question, whether you uh, have looked at covenant theology or, or not, really, you're asking, right. what do I need to do here? And so uh, let's get there the way you want to get there, though. Um, uh, what, what's next? What do you want to, what do you want to kind of deal with next as you look through this outline? Okay, well, let's go ahead and just go through the outline. So um, let's talk about the law gospel contrast now. So okay, all cool. of this discussion about federal theology versus monocovenantalism mm-hmm. is to set the context for us to be able to properly define the law gospel contrast. Yeah. Um, the monocovenantalists reject the law gospel contrast. Yeah. They say that... Um, one example of a, a monocovenantalist that I recently was looking at was Robert Lethem in his new systematic theology. Yeah. And in his chapter on the covenant of works with Adam, he rejects the idea that it's a covenant of works. He prefers to call it a covenant of life and rest that's the telltale sign. Yeah. As soon as they reject that that label, covenant of works, you know something's amiss. Sure yeah. enough, he doesn't like that term. He wants to call it a covenant of life instead. And he says that in that covenant with Adam before the fall, grace constitutes and law regulates right and that this pattern grace constitutes law regulates holds for every era of we can't say redemptive history because we want to include the pre-fall situation it holds for every era of god's history of his covenant relationship with mankind before the fall after the fall at all times yes um grace is what constitutes the relationship and law only comes in to regulate that relationship and say, this is how you should live. This is the response that we should have to God's grace. Right. 
So this idea of monocovenantalism, it rejects the law gospel contrast. Yeah. It's saying that law is actually a part of grace, that law is gracious. Grace is primary. Law simply comes in secondarily in a secondary way to regulate the relationship. And uh, this is John Frame's big theology, thing as well, I think. Yep, John Frame, he yeah. was definitely influenced by Norman Shepard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norman Shepard had the same view. This this whole idea that there is no law gospel contrast, that law gospel are on a continuum. Daniel Fuller's book was that, had that title in it. Mm-hmm. Law and gospel contrast or continuum. He was saying <laughs> no contrast, and he was rejecting yeah. this this uh, covenant of works, covenant of grace contrast, and saying instead it's a uh, continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, but federal theology says no, there is a law gospel contrast. Mm. And that, that follows directly from this idea of the covenant of works versus the covenant of grace. Mm. And it also sets up for understanding what is the gospel. The gospel mm. is that Christ as the second Adam has fulfilled the obedience and satisfied uh, the wrath of God for us because of the broken covenant of works. Mm. So in other words, you could say in a simplistic way, Christ has fulfilled the covenant of works. Right. That's uh, little bit simplistic because really he fulfills the covenant of redemption but the covenant of redemption has a works principle built into it and christ fulfills it as the second adam so the reason that i wanted to give this whole context of federal theology is because i wanted us to have that law gospel contrast uh properly situated within a covenantal context and to me this is the key that helps to avoid bad definitions of the law gospel okay. contrast yeah, and also to answer the monocovenantal denial of the law gospel contrast. Right. So it answers the bad uh, monocovenantal. We, we already dealt with that. Yes. That's clear. It answers that. But it also provides a response to bad definitions of the law gospel contrast. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, for example... One bad definition that I hear a lot is that uh, the law gospel contrast is um, that anytime you find a command or an imperative in the Bible, that's the law. And in contrast with that, the gospel is simply the announcement that Christ has been crucified and risen. Mm. Right. And both of those definitions are off. The first definition, law is any command or imperative, is really bad because then what do you do about all the Christian life imperatives in the Bible? Mm-hmm. What do you do about all the call? What about the call to believe in Christ? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a command. You, you say that. that. I mean, that's, that's exactly law? what that's. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read. Um, frames critique of 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 um you know just well i suppose he's done so much of it over the years but yeah. but basically and yeah. uh this is one of his big areas he's he looks at that mm-hmm. exactly what you've just said and says well how yeah. can this be you know because um you've got you've got more complexity than that and so yeah it'd be interesting to see what you say about that to to at least um work through frames own critique and in some level at some level you're just taking that critique seriously and going okay well um, you know, let's that's think about not that. the definition. He's he's yeah. attacking a straw man. Yeah. The law gospel contrast is not command versus the objective work of Christ. Right. Um, 
even the objective work of Christ is not that that is not a bad definition of the gospel, but even that is a little bit too narrow. Because too narrow, right. what about the call to believe in Christ? Right. Does that fit under the law or the gospel? I don't think it fits under the law. And it does fit under the gospel. So therefore, you can't make the gospel simply the objective announcement of what Christ has done outside of you to mm. the exclusion of our response. Mm. Shouldn't mm. our response also be a part of the gospel? Mm. Exactly. So, but you see how we can resolve these bad definitions, and we can clearly see that they're wrong once we have a federal theology context in place, because now we see what is the law? The law is the covenant of works. So it's not just any command. Yes. It's any command that is founded upon the works principle. Right. In which a reward is being granted to you as what is due because of your obedience to that command. Totally. Would it be that's the works principle? Yeah, I like that. I mean, and, and so are we talking just to see if I'm on the same page here and if I'm tracking with you? Um, are, you're basically saying, um, instead of thinking about it in terms of, yeah, that, that isolated law and, and uh, promise thing, you're really talking about the principle of, of, of inheritance, so to speak. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. how will you get it? Is it going to be exactly. via the works of another? Or, and then, Galatians you know, and then you've got, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and, you know, does now the that inheritance I say, come by the law? Right. Or does it come by the promise? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that is just so big. I think if you just simply take that, you know, endpoint and and just measure that against so much of the critique that I've read anyway, of of mm -hmm. of a law gospel contrast, it's like they're falling into that straw man trap every time with all their critique. They're just constantly critiquing the wrong thing. They're never critiquing the actual uh, the principle of inheritance itself, which is um, yep. you know it's just very helpful to know that when you do read through these things. Um, because it, it just, you know, it, otherwise it throws you and you just end up muddled and confused and yeah. Right. And you don't want to say that, uh, all of the Christian life imperative passages like Romans six, you know, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, you know, put to death your members, which are on the earth. You know, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above Colossians three, you know, that whole section in Ephesians four and five, you know, all those imperatives about. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. You don't want to say that all of that is law, right? But we are saying that's it's imperative, though, right? So, and I think um, there's indicative imperative, and and we're yeah. we're saying there's almost like a theological category of law that we're mm -hmm. looking at here. Um, maybe there's a better way to put that, but um, you know, because I think um, where I feel like I might have been confused is. You know, I mean, how can it not be law? You know, it's imperative, but but it's almost like there's more to it, is what you're saying. There's law as a law inheritance principle. Um, because it depends on whether this imperative is situated within a covenant of works or a covenant of grace. Yeah, brilliant. That's so helpful. Yeah. That's why the federal context is so important. If the imperative is situated within a covenant of works, then it's law. Mm. But if it's situated within the covenant of grace, it's not law. Mm, mm. Now, I wouldn't say it is the gospel either, right, right, because right. the gospel is that Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead, 1 Corinthians yeah. 15, 1 to 4, mm. but it fits under the covenant of grace, and so sure. it's part of the gospel, it's part. It's an implication, those Christian life imperatives, Romans 6, Ephesians 4 to 5, Colossians 3, they are imperatives that flow from the indicatives of the gospel. Mm, They're implications mm. of the gospel for how we should live. Mm. Yeah. 
Very helpful. Um, you know what I'm thinking? Just uh, in light of this discussion leading up until this point, this might be a good point. I realize we're kind of halfway through your low gospel contrast uh, outline here, but it's just such a great point to end on in terms of, uh, you know, just uh -huh. if someone listens to this and gets to that point of clarity, that would be amazing. And uh, provides a solid foundation for where you want to go as far as I'm looking at it over here as we pick it up in the next uh, episode. Uh, just mindful we, we're getting a little bit on uh, for time. But uh, what do you think? Is, that, is there anything that's else good. to close yeah. with or do you sound, think that sounds like a good plan? I think that's great. So I think the key thing here, the, the bottom line uh, conclusion of all this is uh, you have to define the law gospel in terms of federal theology. Yeah. The law is the covenant of works. Do this and live. Perfect obedience is required. If you provide that perfect obedience, the reward is due to you as, as a matter of justice. There's also a curse involved, right? Mm -hmm, curse is mm -hmm. everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to right, do them. Right. Uh, the gospel, by contrast, is the covenant of grace, that Christ has done it all for you so that you might live. You don't do it in order to live. Christ mm -hmm. has done it so that you might live. Mm -hmm. And then because you live, this is how you should walk in obedience to the Lord. Mm. Now, that second part about how you should walk in obedience, that's not the gospel, no. but it's an implication of the gospel right, right. in the context of the covenant of grace. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's such a helpful way to respond to someone who is struggling with, you know, because a lot of, I mean, we're talking about receiving it on this end, the critique, but I know a lot of people who would struggle with a law gospel contrast are also sort of themselves processing at, at, at quite, you know, whether it be an initial level or they're trying to work through it, perhaps that's their tradition, perhaps that's just the way they've always thought about it. And I think if they're getting simplistic answers on this as well, uh, you know, someone's just holding to a very simplistic definition or a, uh, maybe an incorrect, um, or as you put it here, a terrible uh, definition of law, a terrible or not bad definition of gospel. I mean, they're obviously not going to want to yield uh, on their view as well. Yeah. They're not even going to be interested. Yeah. But if you're able to kind of broaden it out and show them exactly why it is that you feel this way and how it accounts for all the knowledge, uh, all the knowledge, um, all the imperative and indicative, all the info, um, you know, I think that's so much more compelling and uh, just, just mm -hmm. worthwhile thinking about. So, uh, again, hopefully that is helpful to someone listening in on this. And uh, um, if not for yourself, then for a conversation you might be having with someone, which someone usually is having, <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if, if my experience is anything to go by. Very true. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, thanks a million, Lee. Really appreciate that yeah. time. Um, yeah, thank you. realize it good. took a chunk out of your day there. Uh, but thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. And I'm looking forward to Happy taking to another chunk yeah. some other time. Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Well, okay. I'm going to play out at this point. Um, let's see if I can do this with my immense slickness. Here we go. Are we ready? Yes, we are. Mm -hmm.